Welcome to One Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. I'm not speaking today, but uh, Justin and his family are on vacation. They're having a t- some time away. So how many of you believe it's okay for a pastor to just catch a, catch a break once in a while and do a vacation? Amen. Yeah, we're, we're so happy to be able to, you know, just send him out and release him to be able to go and uh, just spend time with family and have fun and just take a break. Um, but I've uh, got the privilege of introducing an awesome gentleman today who's going to be speaking to us, Matt Hammer. Many of you guys know Matt. Matt's a great friend. Uh, he's a great leader. Um, let me tell you, this guy prays. He operates in the spirit. He serves the Lord. He seeks the Lord, and he's genuine. He's the real deal. So I'm I'm privileged to call him my friend and also a leader here at, at One Church. But I'm going to pray for Matt and for us, and then we'll get started. Lord, we just thank you for today. We thank you for Matt. Um, we open up our ears to you. We open up our ears to you to hear what it is that you have to say, Lord. And I just pray over Matt. You just bless him. You strengthen him. You strengthen the word, Lord God. You open up our hearts. Spirit, just move in our midst to be able to receive from you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everybody. So, it's a pleasure to be here with you. The, um, as I prepared for this, I was reminded of a couple of different things. One of them being the, um, the magnitude of bringing a message is pretty, it's pretty weighty. And... Um, <laughs> I was like, oh, wow. It just it helped me to appreciate the day in and day out, the week in, the week out of what Pastor Justin does for us. This isn't something that we can take lightly. And he is continually bringing us fresh words. He's continually encouraging us and giving us new revelation. And so I just thought it might be wise for us and just in, a, in a, an extension of our appreciation for him to give him a round of applause, even though he's not here for us today. The Bible says that those who lead are to give an account for those people that they lead, and so they're held to a higher standard, and, and he very much should have this vacation time to, to rest and relax. And the second thing that I was reminded of is what a great fellowship and community that we have here. It was, it, I was getting teared up just, just sitting over there in preparation and, and thinking, you know, all these thoughts are going through my mind, and, and I can't tell you how many people encouraged me throughout the week, how many people were saying, I'm praying for you, how many people that were just saying, hey, God's got this, and it's just such a beautiful representation of what the body of Christ is supposed to be like, is we're supposed to be there for each other, we're supposed to be thinking of each other's needs and their other, other people's, um, whatever's going on in their life, so I just, I just want to say thank you, everyone, for making this experience to be um, an enjoyable one, and I just know that uh, God is is with us in this journey. Um, and then just one more comment. If if this is your first time with us here at Park District, um, if you don't like something that's said today, you got to come back next week to see what the real pastor will have to say. So um, don't, uh, don't hold us to uh, responsible for anything like that. But uh, before we get started, let's go ahead and pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus, and we just... We, we know that you are here because 
you said that when two or more are gathered in your name, you are there in our midst. And so, God, we just, we rest in that. But at the same time, God, we want this to be a fruitful time. We want your Holy Spirit to come and take my words and then may they be your words and, and plant them into our hearts, this, this rich soil so that it'll produce a fruit a hundredfold, God. Not something that is just here for this next hour, God, but a movement. We ask, God, that you will start a movement that, that goes out into our community and brings forth healing and restoration and to all the spheres of influence and that we function in. And so we just lift up this time to you, God, and we ask for you to give us ears to hear and uh, uh, just your mind to receive in Jesus' precious name. All right, so we are talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We've been in a multi-week um, time frame where we are um, learning about the gifts of the Spirit and we're, we're trying to figure out how we personally are gifted, how, how God has uh, using us in our community to bring about change. And so the, um, the, this week we're going to talk about the power gifts of healing. And um, it's, it's sometimes a controversial topic because some people are in the process of receiving their miracle. And so it it's, can be a sensitive issue because there is a lot of pain and suffering that can be closely aligned with this topic of healing. But the, in, what I'm hoping to do today is, is first to establish a basis for healing. Second, to address the fact that we live in this broken world and how do we operate in the, in the time that we're in now versus the time that we are in receiving that, that final miracle or that final healing. And then third, how do, we, how do we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit? How do we walk in the power of healing? And... God willing, we'll be able to gain some truth from this. So the first thing that I'm going to talk about is a basis for understanding healing. And so I was woken up in, you know, somewhere around three o'clock in the morning earlier this week, and I started to pray, felt like God was trying to, to do something and, and reveal something about the path that he wanted to take this message on. And I was given a definition of healing that if it's at three o'clock in the morning, it's got to be from God, right? <laughs> And that definition, I think, helped to shape the message as when I first started, I thought it was going to be one thing. And then when I, when I, by the time the week came and finished, it was, it was some, about something else. And so that definition of healing, take it or leave it, is rede redeeming our physical or spiritual state back to its original design. And the, the physical, on the physical side, we have needs in our bodies. We have needs of sickness, we have needs of suffering, we have needs of mental illness, we have needs of, of sin, and all of these things need to be healed, and they're in the process of being healed. And then at the same time, we have this, this spiritual sense, which can really be broader than just our physical bodies. The spiritual sense can apply to things like our land. The spiritual sense can, and, and the, the mindset of greed, this, the spiritual sense can can apply to our government, it can apply to our marketplace, it can apply to all of these different realms where if you have bondage in the spiritual sense, then it can create repercussions that manifest into the physical sense. And so when I originally sought, sought to talk about this, I was thinking healing in the context of your body's being healed. But then as I, as I went through the process, I was like, God wants to start a movement through us in this community to, to bring about healing in a variety of spheres of influence within our culture. 
So it's not just the physical healing, it's the spiritual healing that, that transcends where we are here today. And the, the other thing that I wanted to try to address is that the, the healing process can be gradual, it can be instantaneous. A lot of times you'll hear people say that um, the difference between healing and miracles is that a miracle is something that happens right away and a healing can be something that happens over the course of time. And I, I think that there is some truth to that. Uh, they're both closely aligned. But if, if you're in the process of, of receiving the healing, we should be thankful about the gradual incremental steps that it takes in order for us to get to the final healing. So keep that in mind. If you pray for healing for somebody and you don't see something right away, don't be discouraged. Recognize that it might be part of a gradual or larger pro process. The next thing I wanted to mention was that God's will is for healing, okay? There, God's wants to bring healing here and now. And there's a lot of wills at work, and you have the will of the enemy, you have the will of ourselves, you have the will of God, and all of that, we're in this kind of, this, this broken state where even though it's God's will, there's sometimes a period where it takes time for that will to be finally manifested. And, and so I just wanted to establish the fact that God revealed himself as the healer. In Exodus, he came to Moses and he said, I am the healer. If it wasn't God's will to heal, then why would he reveal himself as the healer? So of course it's in his nature to heal. So it's, it's important for us to recognize that God is not done healing. He still wants to heal. And there's um, some verses that really speak to that in, our, in, our, in what he did for us in bringing healing about here and now. And that's in 1 Peter 2.24. It says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And Revelation 21 verse 4 says, He will wipe every tear away from our eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he goes on to say, behold, I have made all things new. And so whether it's now or whether it's in the future, healing is part of God's master plan. The next thing I wanted to address is the fact that we live in a broken world. And the, the fact is that the enemy has come to steal and kill and destroy and God has come to give life and to give it abundantly. <clears throat> and this gets back to there's multiple wills that are, that are squeezing and pulling and all these different tensions that, that are taking place. And um, we just have to keep in mind that God is good. God is loving. God is compassionate. And whether or not you have received the miracle or the healing... It doesn't take away from the fact that God cares about your circumstances. God is a loving and he is a compassionate and he is a restorative God. And he cares about the small things. He cares about the big things. And how awesome it is to be there in a state where you are in need and have the assurance that God is there with you. And... Even though it is God's will, most of us 
know somebody who we have earnestly prayed for to receive healing and didn't see the miracle. It's tough. It's a tough thing that we go through in really believing with full heart that God is going to do something and then it doesn't take place. We've had a lot of friends that have dealt with sickness and, and cancer being one of those things. Praise God, by the way, before we go into anything negative, that God has, has proven himself faithful again to heal the cancer that somebody in our fellowship's family member was experiencing. So praise Jesus that he does heal cancer. And at the same time, there's situations that for uh, reasons we, we will never understand. We won't get the whole picture of God's master plan on this earth. There's some things that are just mysteries, and this, and this falls into that category, is, is why some people and why some other people. But that, doesn't, that shouldn't hinder us from praying with full faith and expectation. And so as I sought to try to bring clarity to this painful, sensitive issue, I looked at people that have gone before me, and the many people know of Johnny Erickson Tata just by a show of hands. How many people have heard about or know about Johnny Erickson Tata? She is a, a a wonderful woman who is a great advocate for disabled people, and she herself is disabled. She, and when she was 17 years old, she dove into a, a pool of water in the Cape Cod and she ended up, the water was too shallow and she broke her neck and she became a quadriplegic. And she's been a quadriplegic for 52 years and she's endured tremendous suffering. Not to mention that she had this, this difficulty with being not able to use her hands and legs, but also she was diagnosed with cancer eight years ago. And this is one of those head scratchers. It's like, man, God, does, don't you think that one person has had enough? They've gone through this, this 50 years of waiting to see the, their healing take place, and then they have cancer. God, what? couldn't you have chosen somebody else or allowed somebody else to have that? And, and God doesn't chew it again, choose it. It's the enemy that comes and steals and kills and destroys. So I just wanted to clear that up. But um, as she's, she's written books, she's preached sermons, and... She gives hope in the midst of the difficulty. And one of the things that she revealed to, in, that, I, that I gained from a sermon that she spoke of, which I think is relevant, is the fact that when she was first disabled, she prayed and expected God to move. She expected God to perform. And she was full of faith and full of expectation. And it wasn't happening. It wasn't happening in the time frame in which she expected God to perform. And slowly but, but inevitably, she, she developed this bitter spirit in her heart. And no matter what anybody did, people that were caring for her, they couldn't do it well enough. She was, she was bitter because God didn't perform the way that she wanted him to in the timing in which she wanted to. And therefore, she had a root of bitterness in her heart. And many of us, from a, from a logical standpoint, can say, hey, well, I can understand where that would come from. And many of us have wrestled with similar emotions if we are earnestly expecting a miracle and haven't yet received it. But it was revealed to her as she read Mark verse 1 through 36 through 38 
about a bigger purpose that Jesus had in regards to her circumstances. And it says in verse 36 of Mark 1, And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, he being Jesus, Let us go on to the next towns, that I might preach there also, for that is why I came out. So here you are, Jesus has just healed a, a, a ton of people. Any, everybody who was brought to him, he healed them, and they were restored. And then he tried to get away to a quiet place and seek the Father. And there was people looking for him. Hey, Jesus, we want more of what you had to offer. And even though Jesus cares for those conditions, he had a bigger purpose in mind. There was other people that needed to re- he needed to reach with the gospel. And so there in the midst of our difficulty and suffering, sometimes there's a bigger purpose at work that we may not understand. But we shouldn't allow, we shouldn't create an idol out of the healing. Or we shouldn't create the idol out of that next job. Or we shouldn't create an idol out of finding the right spouse. Or we shouldn't create an idol out of anything that separates us or interferes with God as number one. And whenever we have those things that we, that we idolize, God has a tendency to, to wait until that gets revealed and before you repent in order for us to get past it. So in, in order for him to bring us to the other side of that. And over the course of time, she, she, and at that moment, she repented of the bitter spirit and she had this newfound love and appreciation and joy in the midst of her circumstances. And she tells this story about her driving to the, and, and she's got a husband that they've been married for 50, or since 1982, and it's a beautiful picture of service and love and um, friendship, and it's just such a cool story. If you don't know about, I encourage you to read about Ken and, and Johnny Erickson, Tata. And um, she while they were driving in the car, she says, hey, honey, what do you think it's like to have heaven on earth? And they, they were kind of kicking around some ideas, and, and she said, you know, is it when you have paid all your bills, and everything's in order, and there is no difficulty, or you just had a great vacation? And she said, no, I don't think that's it. I don't think that's what it's like to have heaven on earth. But then they said, you know what I think it is? I think it's having contentment and joy and satisfaction and peace in the midst of the worst and most difficult circumstances that you can ever imagine. That's what it's like to have heaven on earth, is when we are separated from what the world's reactions would be because we have peace and joy and hope and expectation in Jesus. And our relationship with him is so strong that no matter what the enemy throws at us, we can be steadfast and grounded and rooted in love. And that was the revelation that she got later on. She went to to, uh, the Holy Land and she was at the pool of Bethesda with her husband and it just so happened to be a day there wasn't a lot of people there. And this is where she had pictured herself many times. This is the pool of Bethesda in the scriptures, for those that don't know, was the place where a lot of lame people would go and they would ask for healing and they were just beggars and waiting to be healed and they thought that there was some healing nature in the water itself, but um, they all just congregated there as an as, as act of desperation. And so she, but that's also where there were miracles that were performed. And so she envisioned herself many times at this pool of Bethesda 
And as she was there, she, she um, prayed this prayer, which I felt was profound for those of us who are on the still waiting side of the miracle or healing. And so I think we've got that prayer up here. And this can only happen, this revelation can only happen through an act of God. But it says, thank you for that no answer, Lord Jesus, to a request for physical healing, which has meant that I'm depending more on your grace. It's increasing my compassion for others who are hurt and disabled. It's helped me put complaining behind me. It's stretched my grace. It has pushed me to give thanks in times of sorrow. It has increased my faith. It has strengthened my hope in heaven. And it's made me love you so much more, so much more. It's such a safe and wonderful thing to be back in the inner sanctum of the fellowship of sharing in your sufferings. And I would not trade that for any amount of walking. Wow. Here's this woman who, who recognized that intimacy with Jesus far surpassed her ability to walk. That's what it's like to have heaven on earth. And Paul shared a similar perspective when he saw um, he had the thorn in his flesh, familiar passage where there was increasingly amazing res revelations with heaven and, and the enemy pointed a messenger of Satan, which was a thorn in the flesh for Paul. And he pleaded multiple times. Here's a man who had seen miracle after miracle that God performed miracles through his hands, but yet he had this, this one ailment that who know, not every, nobody really knows exactly what it was, but he had this thing that plagued him, and he asked the Lord three times for the Lord to take away the, the thing. And in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 10, he says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's awesome. It's awesome to be able to, to recognize that sometimes the bigger purpose in us waiting for the miracle is the, the invitation to grow in intimacy with our Father. Oh, that's so awesome. In the midst of our pain, he's inviting us, come closer to me. I will be all you need. I will be strength. When you are weak, I, or when you are weak, I am strong. And another passage that speaks to this is 2 Timothy verse 2 and 3. It says, endure suffering with me as a good soldier in Christ Jesus. And that brings us to the, to the next section where I love the, the visualization of, of being a soldier in God's army, a good soldier. And isn't that what it's like? God, he, he gives us his spirit to be able to live this redeemed life where he sets up all of these opportunities for us to engage in his work and to allow him to use us in a way to bring about change to our community. And so with that in mind, with us being the soldiers and him being our great commander-in-chief, 
Let's recognize the assignments that he's given to us. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, For we are his worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. He's got all of these, these divine appointments for us. Is it in the grocery store? Is it in our offices? Is it in our workplaces? Is it at the gym? Is it at church? Wherever it may be, the Holy Spirit is inviting us. Hey, I want to I want to give you an awesome testimony. I want to just allow you to, to experience my goodness. I've got these works. If we were just if we were just had eyes to see these works that God has prepared in advance for us to join him in this, this effort that's fueled by his Holy Spirit, what an awesome thing it would be. If we could, if I personally could take advantage of every one of those opportunities. I don't know if you're anything like me, but I hear the whisper oftentimes, go say an encouraging word to that person over there. Or, hey, I can, you get the sense that your, your coworker is struggling with something, maybe their family or maybe their health or whatever the case may be. Why don't you go and give them a, a, a word of encouragement? Maybe give them a thank you card for all the work that they're doing on your behalf or maybe go offer them a prayer. I can't tell you how many times that a simple prayer to someone who is in your, is in your office will forever change your relationship. And I remember one time this, this guy, his name was Pat Markey, he, he worked with me, and he was a very, he was a New Yorker, and he had kind of a chip in his shoulder with regards to God. And it was, he was, he was almost, he just opposed God. Anything you said about God or anything, it was, it was met with resistance and, and skepticism. And, and I remember he, he had this, I got the sense that he was struggling with something. He had his back and he, and I, and I kept feeling the Lord tell me to pray for him. And I'm like, God, he's opposing you, you know, like, I don't know. He's, is there somebody easier? You know, I already know this guy's a Christian and he, maybe he has a hurt knee. I don't know. I go to pray for him, but it just kept coming. It just kept coming. It just kept coming. And so, and he walked a little bit funny because of this, this condition. And, um, and so I said to him one day, I just finally got the boldness to, to pray for him. And I, I said, hey, can I pray for you? I know you've been struggling with this back pain. And he's like, yeah, okay, okay. And so I prayed for him, and I didn't see anything happen. I didn't see him, like, jump up for joy. And I didn't see, like, what I, you know, had expected and hoped for. But... As time went on, he ended up developing cancer, and he went through this, this difficult battle with cancer, and he ended up having, he could no longer work, and he was going through all of the treatments, and he, I remember he was a pretty large man, and he, I hadn't seen him in a while because he was away from work, but he, he came around the office to just kind of touch base with everybody and and uh he looked completely different he stood at my office he came into my office one day and he looked completely different he didn't have any hair he probably lost maybe 60 pounds and he was he is it just i was like who who is this and he's like hey man i, I really need some prayer i really need some prayer and had had i not responded to that work that god had prepared in advance for me to do then i wouldn't have been able to to help him in his time of greatest need. But when we, when we allow the Holy Spirit to do something as simple as that, it has a ripple effect that goes far beyond what we can ever imagine. 
And it's just, it's, it's so simple, but yet the enemy comes to try and steal and kill and destroy and tries to put water on the flame of, of Christ that is, fuel, is fired within us. And I just encourage us today to let's take advantage of those opportunities. It's so simple. We're not called to be super Christians in here and then go out and, and be totally different. We're supposed to bring the light of Christ into the world in which we live in. And we're supposed to bring about change. And, and part of the thing I was so excited about today is I feel like that's what God wants to do. He wants to bring a movement of healing into our workplaces, into our community, into our education system, into our government. And he wants us to be the catalyst just by saying, yes, God, I will allow you to use me. I will respond to those unctions even if I don't see the, the exact result that I was expecting to. Can we be willing? Can we be willing? In order for us to be, to be willing, we have to be firmly convinced. And, and these things would all just be good ideas if it wasn't backed up by the truth of God, God's word. The, the truth of God's word is like the wind that fuels the sail. And so in order for us to embark on this journey and bringing healing to these different spheres of influence within our lives, we need to be firmly convinced that God's word completely supports it. And, and the reason for that is, is emphasized in James 1, verse six, verses 6 through 8. It says, but, him, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Wow. If we don't have this firm conviction, there we... We're a double-minded man who is unstable in all of his ways, as according to God's word. So, is it really God's will? Yes, I believe it's God's will. And I got this picture of being firmly convinced, and it, it's a little bit of a sidetrack, but I think it's a funny story. It's one of my favorite stories, and so I'm going to go ahead and tell it. I've been looking for opportunities to give this one a go. So, um, But anyways, uh, for my 21st birthday, a couple friends of mine and I went backpacking in, in Europe, and in in that journey, we were doing all sorts of things. It kind of goes by word of mouth. We didn't really have an itinerary, um, but this person says something's cool, and so you go and do it. And one of those things that was cool was this thing called canyoning. So in the Swiss Alps, there's this thing called canyoning. Not many people in, the, in America are familiar with canyoning because it's illegal, because it's so dangerous. But just by a quick show of hands, how many people have heard, I know Nate has, of what canyoning is? Two? Two people? Um, so it's probably better that you don't know about it, but it, but essentially, it's you're 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 trekking down the side of a mountain, following the path of water, and on that journey you have all these different obstacles. You've got waterfalls that you've got to jump down. You've got rappelling that you've got to do. You've got these rock slides that you've got to go down, and you've got all this gear because it's 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 the water's coming from a melting glacier, so the water's pretty cold, and so you got all this gear. You got your your helmet on and your you double you got two wetsuits on and butt pads and all this stuff. And so we get all geared up. And, and we, of course, go with the extreme version of the trip because that's what we thought was wise to do. Uh, 21 years old, you know, you don't really have as much um, wisdom. Wisdom. <laughs> as much wisdom. But um, I went with a buddy of mine, Pat. And Pat's not as coordinated. You know, he's, he has had a, things in his past. He was, he's not quite as coordinated. And, and you get about a... a a three-minute crash course from these crazy Swiss adventurers who are the guides on the journey make you feel real safe. And they said, all right, mate, sir, you gotta, here's how you do when you, when you jump into the pool of water below you, you gotta land like this. 
so that when you hit the ground, you don't break any of your bones, you kind of like spring back up. And you're like, wait, what? What are you saying? And, um, and he's like, yeah, and, and, and you've got to be very like uh, poignant when you jump. You've got to know where you're going because there's certain parts of the canyon and the water that are deeper than others. And you're just, all this stuff. And he's giving you this tour while you're in the water going to the first obstacle. <laughs> and you're like, wait a minute, I, I don't know what's going on here. And so we come up to this first obstacle, and it is a 30-foot waterfall where you have to jump from the top of the waterfall down to this, this pool of water. It was bigger than that, okay? But it, it, just, it was a pool of water, but it wasn't like an Olympic-sized swimming pool. It was, it was a very, you know, you had to be pretty precise in your jump. And he's like, all right, Mike, okay, you can't jump over there because you'll break your bones. You can't jump over there because you'll get hurt. He's like, you gotta, you got to jump over there into that pool. And I'm, I'm, my heart's racing. I'm getting a little nervous. And I, I, my buddy Pat was just so happened to be in the line in front of me, kind of floating up to this obstacle. And I kind of had the thought, I'm like, ah, maybe I should go in front of him and show him how it's done. Maybe uh, just try to set the example and but I didn't want to embarrass him and be like, hey, dude, here, I got this. Let me show you how it's done type of thing. So I just kind of let it flow and let it go. And, um, and then Pat, so you're jumping from this, this rounded rock that's like semi-slippery and this, this guy's latched into this, this, this hook that he's put into the, to the rock and he's like standing there giving you a hand to stand on this like rounded rock. And he's like, all right, Mike, see over there? He's like, you got to jump down there. And you're like, oh man, okay. You realize real quickly that you're not at like some kind of wet and wild ride where the, <laughs> the lifeguard is sitting right over there waiting to save you. And um, so my buddy Pat gets up there and he's like the no color in his face, totally petrified. And he's like looking down at this thing. And I was thinking, man, couldn't we have done something a little bit less intense for this first obstacle it's like a huge jump and uh so he gives him a hand and he's like kind of holding him and he's like all right mate on the count of three jump and he's like okay one two three jump and he's like i'm not so sure i'm not so sure and so he hesitates next time he's like all right mate ready one two three jump and he's like i'm not so sure i'm not so sure and he starts to get frustrated the adventure guide swiss guide says mate all right on the count of three this is your chance one two three jump okay ready one two three jump so Pat, he's like, all right, I'm going. And then he's like, I don't think I'm ready. But he was already past the point of no return. And so he starts falling, and there's this, like, dramatic scene going on where I'm like, oh, my gosh. And the, the guide reaches down as he's falling, and he grabs him by the life vest, and he's, he's dangling over the rocks where you shouldn't go because you'll fall and break your bones. And there's, like, this dramatic, he's looking up into his eyes, and he's like, help me. And he's looking down like, you silly guy, I told you to jump. And um, there's what seemed like a five-minute struggle. It was probably only about 30 seconds, but he like eventually gets his life jacket, and he gets, eventually gets his hand, and he, he pulls him up onto the rock. And with such compassion, he slams him on the rock. Mate, I told you to jump! And now get back to the end of the line. And so <laughs> now is my turn. And um, I'm like, oh, wow, this is pretty crazy. And so I got to jump on this rock. So I step on this rock, and I learned really quickly that wavering is not the right place to be when you're in those circumstances. You have to be firmly convinced to jump to the destination in which you have to go. And that's the kind of firmly convinced that we need in order to walk in God's power with regards to healing. We need to be firmly convinced that God has a safe passage for us 
as long as we completely believe him for his word and rely on the power of his Holy Spirit. So, three things that I think are necessary to, to keep in mind as we walk in power are, one, the fact that God is triumphant, two, that he has authority and has given us authority, and three, he has commanded us to bring about healing in our culture. So, first, God is triumphant. Colossians 2.15 says, In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. The enemy has all these tactics, and they threw everything they possibly could at Jesus. And there was a period in those three days when Jesus was humiliated on the cross. He was, he was broken. He was, his blood was poured out for us. He was totally naked and humiliated, a spectacle to anybody who saw. And if that's where the story ended, what a sad tale that would be. But the fact that three days later, he was raised from the dead so that we might have complete communion with the Father. He reconciled our sinful nature into this, this beautiful, intimate relationship. What he did is he turned the tables. He said, enemy, that's you as the spectacle on the cross. The cross will forever remain a spectacle of you in the power that you thought you had that I took away. And now it represents my victory, my triumphancy. Let's live from that state of triumphantness. Let's live from a state of victory. And because Jesus was given the authority at that time, we have to look at what he did with that authority. In Luke 9, verses 1 through 2, he sends out the disciples, and he says, Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He had authority. He took it at, at his resurrection. He, he made a public spectacle of the enemy because he was victorious. And he says, now I'm, I've got this authority. I'm going to give it to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to entrust you to bring about change into the culture and community in which you live. Not only did he give us the authority over the, over the power of the enemy, but he commanded us to do this. Matthew 10, verse 8 says, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. Another verse, Acts 4.30, says, and now this is the prayer of the, of the following of Christ, the early church. And they said, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So God, we are the, we are the body of Christ. We are his hands. We are his feet. We are his eyes. We are the body of Christ. And he wants to bring about healing by us and our willingness to allow him to stretch out his hand through us by the virtue of us 
participating in his work through the power of the Holy Spirit with the, with the firm confidence that he is going to do what he said he was going to do. And so now that we can be firmly convinced based on the truth of God's word, we can act in faith. Throughout the scriptures, we see a correlation, not the soul factor, but we see a correlation that a culture and an environment and an attitude of faith increases the likelihood of miracles. It increases the likelihood of, of healing. And some of the passages that, that back that up is there was a woman with a blood condition and it's in Matthew, oh no, yes, Matthew 9, 22. The woman with the blood condition comes and seeks out Jesus to be healed and Jesus heals her and he says, your faith has made you well. There's also passages where um, Jesus, he said that in other, other circumstances, but there was also when he was in Galilee and he was trying to perform miracles. This is on the flip side of that. He was trying to perform miracles, but there was an attitude of unbelief that restricted the amount of miracles that he could do or that he was willing to do. And so there is a correlation that you see throughout the scriptures with regards to faith, but at the same time, Lazarus was raised from the dead, so he himself could not have had any faith. He was dead. And so, you know, I would say we want to err on the side of having faith and <laughs> give God the opportunity to, to move. Because faith without works is just that, dead. And I, I picture this, this spectrum of, of faith, right? So you've got, on the one side of the spectrum, you've got the um, God is tired. He's no longer going to perform miracles today. He only did that in the time of the apostles. And if you have that, that attitude of unbelief, then you're never going to be inspired to take any action. And chances are you're never going to see any miracles because you're never going to ask for them. And on the other side of the spectrum, you have the attitude of, of full conviction, of full faith, and you are a willing vessel that takes advantage of the opportunities that God gives you, putting aside your fear and insecurities and allowing God to bring about miracles. And don't, don't we as a church want to be on this side of the equation? Don't we as a church want to have an attitude of faith and expectation and belief, fully convinced that God is triumphant, that he has and gave authority to us through his spirit, and that he is going to, he's commanded us to do it. Can't we, can't we have complete faith that God is going to do what he said he's going to do? Wouldn't that bring about such change to our community if we acted in that way? And I'm not saying it to anybody, I mean, I'm saying it to everybody, including myself. And I think... You, you hear about endurance. You hear about steadfastness from people like Todd White. He's a, how many people are familiar with Todd White? He's kind of a person of our generation. He's got a lot of YouTube videos. He's a, he's a great encourager. He's a great um, evangelist. And God has used him in profound ways through his spirit to bring about change. And he's bring about miracles. And he, every time you see him on a YouTube video, he's got some kind of new testimony of how God is, is transforming the, the world in which he lives around him. And... Um, but this, the, the beginnings of Todd White's stories, I don't know if, if anybody's heard this, but I'm sure you have. Essentially, when he first got the idea that God wanted to bring about healing, he went all in. He ran after it with, with complete conviction. And so first, first day, he, he went and saw somebody get healed, and that's when he decided he was going to pursue it. And first day, he goes and he prays for 10 people. 
people in the gym, people at the grocery store, people at the workplace, people everywhere he go, he would just, he would pray for people. And so 10 people first day didn't really see anything immediately. Next day, another 10 people. Next day, next day, next day. First 30 days, first month he had prayed for, he estimates, 10 people a day and had yet to see God do anything that he um, could tangibly see as far as healing the physical bodies. He continued this journey for, for 90 days. Do the math, that's 900 people he prayed for without any direct fruit that he could see other than the fact that the people felt loved and they felt cared for and not to discount any of that. But he was believing God for a miracle. He was believing God for on-the-spot on the healing. And he hadn't seen it. And it, it, it was right, right after that he was driving, I think, I think he said he was driving through a toll booth and all of a sudden God gave him a word of knowledge that said, hey, the person that's collecting the toll has a condition with their back. And so he said, hey, as he's, you know, I can just picture him sitting in the toll booth with all these cars behind him there. And, uh, um, hey, I, I feel like God's told me that you have a condition of your back that needs to be healed. And he said, absolutely, I've been asking for healing for this for, for however long. And, and so he said, well, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And all of a sudden, the guy's back cracked crack, and it's healed. And that began the snowball effect and testimony after testimony after testimony after testimony of seeing God heal. And that is, to me, I'm like, man, I prayed for three people. I didn't see anything happen right away. I'm just, you know, discouraged. Obviously, God doesn't give me the gift of healing. I'm going to go cry myself asleep. No, let's have that endurance, firmly convinced that God is triumphant. Let's run after this thing together and bring about the change that God wants to do through, through us into this generation. We're called for a time such as this. Let's, let's allow him to use us by, by being willing. And the great philosopher Wayne Gretzky, hockey player, um, and you can see some people will give this credit to, this quote's credit to Michael Jordan, but uh, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Isn't that the same for praying with people, whether it's for healing or isn't the same for um, listening to the unction or the Holy Spirit's voice and, and offering an encouraging word? You, you miss the, the joy and the, and the benefit of the testimony if you never take action on it. And, and so we got to take the shots. We got to be a good soldier in God's army and listen to the directions of our, of our great commander in chief and do something. Even if we don't see the result, we never know how much that might profoundly impact that person's life. Like my coworker who at once was opposed to God, but then was seeking him out in his time of greatest need. So how do we function in this? Um, the, the first thing is, who does this apply to? And I believe that it applies to those that have the gift of healing only. No, it applies to all of us. Jesus commanded the disciples. He, he, he appointed and gave the disciples this mission. And if any of us want to identify ourselves as a disciple of Jesus Christ, then we should carry the torch and bring about the same things that he did through them. And so I believe that this is a call for everyone. And we all have a sphere of influence. We all have um, a level of faith. We all have a level of boldness. And we should all ask for more. And the next question I asked myself was, where does God want to do this? And I think, number one, of course, he wants to do it in the church. He wants us to be healed. He wants us to um, be disciples. He wants us to offer encouragement to one another, but that's not where it, it, it stops. He wants to bring about change in our marketplace as well, 
And in fact, when you look at the gospel, or not when you, when you look at the book of Acts, you'll find that 39 of the 40 miracles that took place actually occurred in the marketplace. Now, I just have to put a little asterisk there, is that I didn't go in the book of Acts and count every single one, but I read somebody who was pretty credible that did. So if you, if you find that 42 miracles were actually performed and only uh, 37 were, were uh, in the marketplace, then I defer to the person who I read the article about. But the, the, the principle is the, is the same, in, in that God, even Jesus, you think about the, many of the miracles of Jesus were while he was on the way to somewhere. While he, while he was going here, he was, he was oh, oh, there's Zacchaeus up in the tree. Let me go and, and heal him. Or, or oh, this, this person over here, this person over there. So on the way is where we're off to be interrupted from our agenda and have the invitation to join God in some massive or even minor move, which you ask the person who needs healing whether or not it's massive or minor, and, and they'll tell you what, that, what their answer is for that. But... Um, so in the church, in the marketplace, and I'm going to elaborate on the marketplace in a minute, but um, the other is the secret place. And if some of us may not be as comfortable, and by the way, nobody's comfortable to go up to somebody in the grocery store, I'll just say that right now, but if, if some of us may not be as, feel like that's their first step in walking this thing out, that shouldn't deter any of us from going into our secret place and taking some form of action. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Some of us on the eldership team are, are reading the, uh, the book Ecclesia. Ecclesia. No, no, I did this. I even practiced this. I was like, this isn't it. Um, Nate, what is it? Ecclesia. Ecclesia. Oh, so it is Ecclesia. Okay, okay. I was like caught up on, you know, Ecclesiastes. And so I was like, Ecclesia? No. But so I said it right. I was practicing it. Ended up working out. But anyways. <laughs> talks about this concept of prayer evangelism. And I think it was really pertinent to what we are um, talking about today, which is the prayer evangelism was that he was basically saying that the, the, the movements of God start with prayer. And the best way to, to take over the marketplace is for each of us to be activated in prayer in those environments. And so if you figure the marketplace, I'd, I'd like to define the marketplace as the, and he actually did this, so I'm just taking his, his, his words, but um, the marketplace defined as business, government, and education. And he talks about the, the city of Juarez, Mexico, where I think all of us have probably some knowledge of Juarez, Mexico. It's one of the, uh, is the murder capital of the world for a period of time. And he, um, he was somehow connected with the city of Juarez, and he, um, he was talking about this concept of prayer evangelism because prayer evangelism had transformed the community in which he lived. And essentially what it is is it's each person realizing the call, recognizing that they should be firmly convinced, believing that God is triumphant, and believing that they are commanded to bring about change in their individual environments. And so these, these people that had their everyday jobs would go into work and they would start to pray for the leaders of their work. They would start to pray um, 
for their, their co-workers. They would, they would, through their prayers, combat the, the spiritual condition of greed or the spiritual condition of immorality or the spiritual condition of distraction or lukewarmness or, or corruption. And it, you know, it started with this person who had a job in the government and this person who had a job in the education system and this person who had a job in a business world, and they all just started to pray, and they, they did what it says in Second Chronicles seven fourteen. They they earnestly prayed, and they sought the face of God to bring about healing in their land. They fasted. They they were adamant about God wanting to claim their particular sphere for the kingdom of God, and they didn't relent. They they claimed the land, they claimed that position for the glory of God, and all of a sudden doors started to open. They had opportunities to go into the school, and there were, the school at the time was fraught with corruption and bullying. The, the students actually were bullying the teachers because the students were connected to these, dry, their parents were connected to these drug cartels. And there was um, all of this, they would go into a, a meeting and say, how's my kid doing? And they put a gun on the desk. And obviously the, you know, the teachers were in this position of helplessness. If they were to uh, fail the student, then obviously they would have all these troubles and the, basically the drug cartels threatening them. And there was all sorts of extortion. The business deals in, in Ciudad Juarez were, were based on, you know, if you tried to start a business there, people would come in and extort money from you. And there was all sorts of kidnappings. And, and the, the, the spiritual condition of the land was, was, it was corrupt. And it was demonic. And so these people started to mobilize and pray as catalysts for their community. And God started to open up doors. And there was an opportunity for them to go and do a conference for the kids in, in their high school. And then all of a sudden, there was... Um, one of the students ended up asking for forgiveness for the way that they bullied the teacher. And it was like then this massive outpouring, everybody started to confess. And all of this, there was just this mighty, beautiful move of God started in the education system. Then the government got a hold of it. Wow, this is something cool. We need to start to train our government around this type of philosophy of, and, and these, this, this forgiveness, this love that these people are, there's obviously something different about them. And so the next thing you know, the murder capital of the world was completely transformed by a group of people like us realizing the call to ask God to heal their land. And the, just a couple stats, the homicides decreased by 80%, kidnappings were eliminated by 100%, and extortions were down by 90%. Just by some people believing that God wanted to heal their land and them taking him on his word and doing something about it. How about that for our community? How about that for our community? I mean, think about Orlando. Think about the nation as a whole. Think about the world as a whole. What if we grasped onto God's heart for Orlando and we, we prayed against the greed, we prayed against the corruption, we prayed against this imagination in this fantasy world, and we prayed against immorality, and we prayed against um, all of these strongholds of, of lust and covetousness and even in the church, we have distraction and indifference and lukewarmness and all these things that we struggle with. What if we took the mantle of prayer and interceded just by doing something as simple as going in 10 minutes early for work and praying for the people and for the leaders of your workplace? What if we went to um, or even stayed 10 minutes later or prayed, you know, while at lunch or whatever the case may be? What if we did that for our families? What if we believe God to heal our families and to heal the, the attitudes that we have in the house and, and the, the way that we communicate with each other? And what if, what if we ask God to heal our, 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 
everything. I mean, <laughs> there's really no limit to what God can and wants to do through through the prayers of his saints. They float, they go like incense before him, and they're they're a pleasing aroma to his nose because we are joining him in this movement of of what he wants to do to bring about change. And so it's like your heart's aligned with my heart. Oh, it's just such as a beautiful place to be. This intimacy and this relationship with God. So this gets us to the how. I've kind of already talked about some of these things in my excitement. <laughs> but um, the first is intercession. And already talked about intercession. And intercession kind of relates to the marketplace because um, you, are, you can go there and pray and not offend anybody, you know, if you're there. And then, but I, I, I have a strong belief that as we start to walk this thing out and go into the marketplace or our business or wherever and start to pray, God's going to start to open up doors. And God's going to start to show us that our prayers are being answered because he doesn't want to keep this in here. He wants it to go all the way out into the world that we live in. So let's, let's intercede and ask for, for healing. And, when it re, and the next two are kind of related to praying for physical healing for people or, or maybe emotional healing for people. Um, there's two examples that we see in Scripture. One is the, the form of a command where um, Peter, as he was in the temple, uh, their lame beggar was asking him for money, and he looks at him intently and says, money I don't have, but um, in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And so he commands, because he recognizes his position as, as speaking from authority based on the power of the Holy Spirit, he commands the man to act in faith and stand up. And Paul does the same thing. And so as we pray for people with sickness, let's not shy away from speaking from that authority and recognize that the enemy's greatest tactics were put as a spectacle for public display when Jesus raised from the dead. And they, are, they were rendered um, completely ineffective. And um, as we are centered in Jesus, they really don't have any root in our hearts. The next is petition. 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if he asks, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have a request that we ask of him. So two forms of prayer when you're praying for the sick, commanding the sickness to flee, and um, or just that Jesus will touch them. And second, second would be to, to petition, and I think the petition piece kind of gets in line with the intercession, what we, what we are called to do for our businesses and our communities and our marriages and our families and our friends and every, every sphere of influence that we operate in. And so as we conclude here, I just wanted to emphasize again that God really cares about your suffering. God really cares about your condition. I don't want to come across as like some, some bad teachers will try to put the onus on the person who is experiencing the suffering and saying, if you just did this or that, then you would experience the healing. I don't, I don't see that in scripture. So God is loving and compassionate, and he wants you to know that he hears your prayers for healing. Yeah. He, he, he sympathizes with you. He, he wants to give you the picture of him holding you with your head on his bosom and him just caring for you and just stroking your hair saying, I love you, I care for you, I'm here for you. This condition is an opportunity to engage in a deeper relationship with me. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your works and give glory to God who is in heaven. And that's, we can let our light shine when we have that little bit of earth 
or a little bit of kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, when we show the world that we are we are joyful and we are peaceful in the midst of what the world may define as a, as a difficult circumstance. Secondly, let's take hold of this thing. Let's believe God for what he says, allow his word to be the wind in our sails, and let's allow him to reach out his hand through us as the body of Christ to bring about change in our community. Let that pour out into our society and to, our, to the world as a whole. Let each one of us recognize and ask God, God, how can I contribute to healing in my particular sphere? What do you want me to do? Ten minutes a day? Is that really that big of a deal? And chances are it'll probably turn into something else. But let's start somewhere. Let's start somewhere. Let's, let's ask God to see those who are in need around us. It's interesting when you think about sometimes the zeal for the Lord, you'd be like, God, I'll do anything for you. I will, I will go to, to Timbuktu, and I will sell everything I've got, and I will um, be your disciple, and I will be your servant. But God's like, hey, what about the neighbors across the street? Why don't you go to them? Why don't you invite them over to your house for dinner? Why don't you pray for them on a consistent basis? And there's those simple things that we can do to, to put this thing into action. And let's not limit healing to the physical needs, even though that is it, that is part of it. But let's think about healing in the context of the greater good and what God wants to do because he has planted his spirit within us, because he is triumphant, because he has given us authority through his spirit, and because he has commanded us to. As good soldiers in Christ Jesus, let's hear the call, let's act, let's jump into this thing. Yes, there may be hazards over here, there may be hazards over there, but let's be firmly convinced that we will be protected, that God will care for us in whatever circumstances may bring as a result. And let's put aside the fears and insecurities because oftentimes what prevents us from doing anything at all is the fear of man. How sad that is. That Jesus, triumphant, who was triumphant on the cross, victorious on the cross, and we allow what somebody else thinks about us and the fear of nothing happening when we do pray for someone to totally paralyze us from doing anything whatsoever. And so I don't think that's a fair trade-off. I don't think it's the right trade-off, and I'm speaking to myself as well. Um, so let's put aside those fears and insecurities, accept his assignments to bring healing to our community, and uh, let's, let's join him in this thing. So that's it. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. So Nate's going to come on up, and uh, he's going to close us out along with the worship team. Worship team, you guys can come on up. Thank you, Matt. What a great word from Matt. Yeah, awesome.